live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstead, I'm working on a new Wagner's rule of life based on this particular story. You know who Le'Veon Bell is? Yeah. Le'Veon Bell was the all-pro running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers Mm -hmm. who decided to sit out all of last year in a contract dispute and then ended up signing for the New York Jets for the same amount of money that Pittsburgh was offering him, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, well, so now he's going to be with the the New York Jets. Well, here's here's the latest story. He, he lives in he lives in, in South Florida, and apparently his his home was robbed, and somebody stole more than five hundred and twenty thousand dollars worth of jewelry from his place while he was at the gym working out, including two gold chains with diamonds, a black panther pendant with black and white diamonds, and a Rolex. Five hundred twenty thousand yeah. dollars. Okay, they know who did it. <clears throat> apparently, according to Bell. It was his girlfriends, plural, that he left a couple of his girlfriends, plural, in his apartment while he went to work out at the gym, and they robbed him. They took stuff. (laughs) No, they didn't just take stuff. It's not like, here, we're taking a towel or a rope. They took $520,000 worth of jewelry. So I think there is a a rule of life here that, that maybe if you've got multiple girlfriends that you're leaving at your place, maybe you, you want to lock the safe or something. So just something like that. I mean, girlfriends. <clears throat> yes, I'm, I'm sure they... I'm sure they had a deep and meaningful relationship with Le'Veon Bell. I'm surprised they didn't get off with more stuff. I mean, that, that they only were able to get the jewelry. You'd think they would grab everything they could. <laughs> like the TVs and yeah, the computers and everything else. At the same time, if you're going to rip off half, you know, at some point in time, once you've got half a million dollars worth of jewelry that I presume you throw in your purse or whatever, you know, you know, you don't want to be greedy, okay. you know? I suppose that's true. Don't want to be point. greedy. Okay, so memo to all the guys out there. When you have multiple women over at your place and you leave to go to the gym, you might want to lock up the valuables. All right. Hey, an interesting, as long as we're talking about the world of sports, an interesting follow-up to a story last night, a a story, candidly, that I think got a lot more interesting over the last hour or two. NBA Finals last night, nobody's watching the NBA Finals, or very few people are watching them. Ratings are down. But they had an incident last night. The game was in, in Oakland, which is where Golden State plays. And there was one of these scenes where one of the Raptors, the Toronto Raptors players, his name is Kyle Lowry, who had a couple of really big games against the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Lowry is chasing down a ball for a rebound, and he goes running into the the first and second row of the stands, of courtside seats there. You know, you see this from time to time. You know, the player will go running into the stands, and they'll knock, and beer will go flying or whatever. Well, Lowry goes into the seats, and, and this video has now gone viral. I hate that because it's a term because it's such a cliche, but it's gone viral. So Lowry goes running into the seats, and he ends up like in the, the second row of seats because he was racing over. So he's trying to kind of extricate himself. He's trying to get out. And the video shows a guy who's sitting in the front row who's a couple seats over 
from where this happened. It's not like he was the guy that got run over by Lowry, but he's a couple seats over. And you can see him, and the video is very clear. He reaches over, and he pushes Lowry on on the shoulder. I mean, it, he doesn't punch him, but he but he pushes him. And it's not like I say, it's not like Lowry ended up in his lap where you're kind of pushing him to get him off him. He he clearly reaches over and he pushes him, and apparently he says something to him, and Lowry takes exception to that. And apparently the guy ended up being ejected at the press conference afterwards. At after the game, you know, Lowry is talking about. He said, "Yeah, I mean, th- this this has no business. I mean, I don't care what they say to me, but this guy touched me. Had no reason at all to touch me." Etc. Etc. Well, all right. I thought at first the story was going to be here's another example of kind of like a a, a Drake like situation. Do you have a court side? Do you have some fan that's you know just kind of gets caught up in things? Etc. Etc. Well, here's the dazzling detail that's just breaking. The guy that did the pushing, Gru. Did you see the story? The guy that did the pushing, he's he's a part owner of the Golden State Warriors. Now, what, what happens with a lot of these NBA teams is you've got majority owners. Like in, in the Milwaukee Bucks, there's these three you know, the hedge fund guys from New York who are the principal owners. But what the NBA encourages them to do and what they typically a lot of times will do is they'll go out and they'll they'll solicit minority owners. Owners, for example, from the community who contribute a bunch of money but still only a tiny, almost tiny small part of the team. But it gives them, again, sort of more of a, a tie to the community. So in, in the Bucks have done that. They have X number of community of, of people from the community or partial owners. As it turns out, this guy who who pushed the player, his name is Mark Stevens, and he is a minority owner of the Golden State Warriors. They brought him in. He bought his ownership stake in 2013, and, and he's a venture capitalist, etc., from that area. But so now, I mean, it's not just an ordinary fan who's pushed the player. Now you have an owner of the team who laid hands on the player, and it, this has really ratcheted up the attention for the NBA. Because the NBA is going to have to decide, what are we going to do now? All right, when we come back, I want to talk about D-Day with you. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 75 years ago today, 175,000 members of the Allied Expeditionary Force landed on the beaches in Normandy. Today, there's been a series of ceremonies at the Normandy American Cemetery and Memorial. There are 9,300 men buried at that cemetery. It is one of the... I think, uh, again, most sacred places in in the world, I, I would argue. And you have the ongoing ceremony, and you had a number of leaders. You had the uh, Prime Minister of Great Britain. You had President Trump. You had the President of France. They were all talking about, you know, the sacrifices that people made 75 years ago. And in particular, Prime Minister May was making reference to, to the greatest generation, uh, a term that I think Tom Brokaw coined in one of his books a number of years ago uh, about the World War II generation. I have been I've been thinking about that a lot as I compare that to, to modern standards. After the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in December of 1941, you saw this incredible coming together in in this country and you saw america unite and you saw young men 
you know, leaving their homes and, and joining the military to serve our, our country. And, you know, it was different back then. You didn't have the Internet. You didn't have the transcontinental phone services. You, know, you had people that, that left their homes and, joined, and entered the military and in many cases, you know, didn't come back to the United States for, for years, for years. You had people who, you know, didn't see their wives, didn't see their sweethearts, didn't see their family, and their way of communicating with them, you know, wasn't being able to FaceTime or wasn't being able to email. It was you'll write a letter and maybe if you're lucky four or five months later, you know, your letter ends up getting delivered home or you get that letter. If you've ever watched the movie Saving Private Ryan, which um, I, I, I think the first 30 minutes of the movie Saving Private Ryan, which shows it's the first wave of soldiers hitting the beach on on D-Day, you know, in, in, in Normandy. And I, I think the rest of the movie, I think, is okay. But that first 30 minutes where you see just the, the, the troops and, and they're in they're in the amphibious vehicle. And as soon as the metal gate goes down, you have bullets that come flying and these people are just dying. And, you know, those soldiers, those soldiers knew what it was that they were being sent into. They know that they're landing on these beaches and they're going to be charging into machine guns. They knew exactly what they were facing. And yet, you know, one after another after another, you know, did their job. They, they, sign, they did what they signed up to do. They put their lives on the line. And as we know, like I say, there's 9,300 people who, you know, lost their lives in the invasion of, of, of Normandy. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We only have a couple minutes because we've got an early out for Brewers Baseball. But as I think about the sacrifices that so many of the greatest generation made, I find myself wondering, would America ever do that again? Would, would we, if we were attacked, for example, would would you see that kind of response? Would you see American men by by the droves signing up and saying, OK, here's what we're going to do. You know, we're going to give up a couple years of our lives. We're going to go to faraway places and, and we're going to put our lives on the line for our country. Was was the greatest generations display something uh, that that we would never see again? Would current would young people currently would we see that same degree of, of dedication and patriotism and loyalty or because of the way things have changed, because of we've become so polarized, everybody would be sitting there saying, well, I, I want to see what the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or the Washington Post, what are they saying about this particular invasion plan? And do you, you mean you really were going to send people there in these amphibious vehicles and you're going to drop down the barrier and then they're going to get shot into and we're going to lose these types of people? Oh, we can't do this. Our number, 414-799-1620. And let me be real clear here, for better or for worse, and maybe you could argue it's for worse, I don't think you could recreate the American spirit that you saw on D-Day and throughout a, a large portion of World War II. I don't think you could recreate that today. I think that was something that, you know, maybe it existed at one point in time, but no way it would ever happen again. And that, in some respects, is disappointing. 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. We'll try to get to as many good calls as we can. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Jane in Elkhart Lake. Jane, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jane. Thank you for taking my call yes, and ma'am. hearing my opinion. 
um, uh, to comment on would this generation um, rise up like what you call is the greatest generation? Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely not. Okay. I mean, it makes me sad to say that, but it is hard at a high school event to get this generation to take their hats off, put their hand over their hearts, right, and um, and honor our flag, right. So I find it, you know, sad. I find it hard to believe. Yeah, well, that you know, we would have that response. I, th- thanks. I mean, I, I I agree with you. Now, look, after September 11th, 2001, you had this country. We the country came together in in a way that I don't think that. I had seen in my lifetime. But, you know, that quickly splintered. You know, then we got into the politics. Well, okay, how do we retaliate? How do we do this? And and it it quickly splintered. And by the way, when I say this, I I don't doubt that there are some people who would approach, you know, service and defending this country and doing that. And they, they would with the same zeal and patriotism and level that people did in the greatest generation. I just don't think there'd be anywhere close to that number of people who were doing it. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Paul in Illinois. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Paul. I do have to to agree with you. I don't think that they would take the, the hard stand. I mean, nowadays, there's so much reliance on smart weapons, smart bombs. I don't know if they would put themselves personally at, at risk. Mm-hmm. Plus, I think the rules of engagement have changed. I mean, back in the day, if you had a sniper in a church steeple or a, a, a school or something, and they were shooting at you, you brought in a tank, you brought in a bazooka, you lowered the building. Would that be a war crime now? Yeah. You know, because, in it, because citizens might be in the line of fire. They did what they needed to do to win and to go home. I don't know if they would do that anymore. No, I think so. I mean, I, I, I don't think that, I, again, I don't think they would. And then you'd have all the politics that you you would not have a country that I think could unite in, in the way this country united after World War II. I just don't think that that's the situation. We, we are so splintered. We are so divided. You'd have people saying, okay, well, this, this isn't a just war. We shouldn't be doing this. Here's a text. Jeff, back in the 1940s, it was God and country. Today, for so many young people, it's all about me, me, me. I, I, I don't know when that changed. I mean, maybe... You know, maybe you can point to the, the the Vietnam War as a point where we became cynical. You know, people you know got involved. I'm, I'm reading actually a very interesting book um, about Richard Holbrook, who was a diplomat, and you know his first assignment was was Vietnam, and it's really interesting because it's talking about the way. The, the, the view that Americans had, including American mil- members of the American military had, you know, in, in the early part of Vietnam, and we thought this was a noble war, et cetera, et cetera, and how all that changed and how people became cynical. I don't know if we're more self-centered. I don't know if we're more cynical. Don't know why it is. I, I just know I don't think that you could recreate what happened 75 years ago today, if you ever had to. Hopefully, we'll never need to do that. Okay, I am out of time. Um, back tomorrow, 12 noon, when we do this all again. Brewers are coming up right after Eric Bilstad's news. Have a great Thursday.